We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. After a little bit of a break, Nick's been gone the last week, traveling the world, more like traveling the country. Uh, I guess you could call it that. He was on the West Coast. Nick, how was your travels on the West Coast, my friend? Visited Los Angeles for the first time. You know, even had a little bit of taste of In-N-Out Burger. Had about two bites. You know, I heard... Wait, you ordered a burger and then had two bites. And what happens to the rest of that burger? Nah, nah. I I had a little bit more than two bites, but you know what? you finish the burger? Now, do you consider this a burger, Dan? Time out, time out. Back up. I I don't want to cut you out because I want you to get back to that point. I don't... So remember what you were thinking of. What happens to the rest? Did you eat the full burger? I, I had the burger, but I wanted to ask you this. Okay. Is it a burger? I know what you're going to say. You took off the buns, burger? didn't you? No, I didn't even order it with the buns. In and out, in and out has a protein. It's called the, like the protein bundle or something, and it oh, comes no. with lettuce wrapped around a oh, patty. Oh, no. So I had, no cheese? No, I think it had cheese on it. Yeah, okay, I think it had cheese on it. At least you did cheese. Any condiments? No, no. Any fried onions? No. But that's just good. That's not even that bad for yeah, you. I just Pickles? Didn't, yeah, it just didn't even come to my mind, really. Okay, okay. But you ate the whole thing? I ate most of it, yeah. yeah it was most solid. of it? It what, was solid. What, it was solid. What, what about meals? Like, did this get you full? <laughs> I don't understand. This is not all. But it's again, a protein bundle. You can fully eat it. But again, like, I was on like a little, I guess you could call it a vacation. Okay. So I I, I tend to indulge. I had a shrimp burrito in, in Scottsdale yesterday, which was... Ooh, that fan- sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Good. You know, so I indulged and a little bit. that's a flour bit. tortilla. You do not touch flour yeah i wasn't i wasn't a huge fan of the you flour do not touch flour and as, as you said we pushed this back a little bit because i was lifting and running before <laughs> yeah you had to burn off that flour <laughs> i had to tortilla. burn off that flour tortilla. i completely understand they probably had a sauce in there that wasn't good for you either i mean geez probably probably yeah it was, it was great All right. it was at a least fun... you got your run in so yeah, yeah. Fun trip though, California. You know, okay. it's a different, different atmosphere. Scottsdale's amazing. Phoenix is okay. You know, really like, <laughs> really like uh, Scottsdale. But dude, I gotta say, man, those California people, dude, they 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 love to like stretch their vowels out when they talk. I've never understood oh my God, this so whatsoever. True. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't get it. How would you give me an example? Be like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. It's insane. Why do that? I honestly think they are doing it as a joke sometimes, and I and I chuckle to myself, and then I'm like, oh wow, I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, this is Excuse not a my joke. language. Like this isn't a joke. <laughs> this is how these people talk. It's crazy. I don't understand it. Not neither do I. I mean, I I don't know if I could even like deal with that for an extended period of time. It's not even just one person. It was like the entire group that my that I was around. I guess you could yeah. say. All yeah. had that accent. Yeah, they all guys well, they just and girls. Drew it out. Uh, no, mostly girls. Okay. Yeah, mostly girls. Guys were all they were. You know, yo, what's up, dude? How you doing? <laughs> kind of like I say, dude, a lot too. And I'm like, I'm a Jersey big dude th- guy too. Big dude guy doesn't make any sense. Big dude guy. I'm Jersey through and through. Yeah, I don't know if that's a Jersey thing or not. I feel like it's not. It's probably. not. It's not at all. But I just like, dude, it's a good one. But yeah, I so know that. that I know that. Like, happy, happy birthday. Uh, uh. Like everything ends in an A, but not even like the A sound. Like the uh. Yeah. Uh, just shut up and stop with the word <laughs> yeah. off when it's supposed to be cut off. It's very forced. <laughs> it's terrible. It's <laughs> awful. So that sounds interesting. I actually haven't been to L.A. I went to L.A. one time in my life during the Rose Bowl when Wisconsin made it. Ooh. And J.J. Watt was on the team. And they played, and PJ, or not PJ Hills, actually John Clay was on the team. And they played Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle. And I remember being in the parking lot, Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, my only time in LA. And I remember being drunk, playing drinking games. And I don't know how this came about, but with with a couple friends, probably playing bags, and I must have missed a shot, a game win or something. And I said, like, 
F-U-C-K. We don't curse on this podcast. It's a family-friendly podcast. but We never curse. Uh, you know, don't look back two minutes ago. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, for anyone who's listening around their kids, they can't spell yet because otherwise they got that one. But I said it, dropped an F-bomb, and a, a couple, I believe it was, an older couple with TCU sweaters on, turned to me as they, they, they stopped where they were walking, looked at me, and they're like, excuse me? What did you just say? And they went off on me for using that cur- for using that word. Really? In public? Yeah. It was it was like stunning. I was so drunk. I was twenty years old or twenty one years old. I was like just. I had a full pause. I was speechless. You know me. I'm never speechless in my life. I am rarely to the point of being speechless. There's a lot of speech in there. And I was somehow <laughs> speechless. I was speechless. So I, I just that's all I remember from from California. It was a lasting memory of that place. But I've been to other places in Cali. I like Northern California. That's where I think it's at its best. Yeah, I want I want to go to Northern California, and I also really want to check out San Diego. Yeah, yeah. San My Diego. brother is actually just in San Diego this weekend. Good old Maddie. Yep, Maddie boy. First shout out he's ever had on this podcast, and if he's listening in, which he's not, which is why the reason is. He's never gotten a shout-out before because he doesn't listen to the podcast. Devastating. The only person in my family. Uncle Steve listens. Cousin Ari listens. My dad listens. My mom listens. Not Maddie. My own brother. My selfish brother, Maddie. No, but none of my family listens if that's any But that, I've, I know that. to be, I think your parents, it's more of like a... They don't even know what is going on with the podcast type yeah, of thing. My yeah, parents, probably, my, my yeah. brother knows what's going on. He's just like, I don't listen to podcasts, man. Oh, so like, it's one of those stubborn things. Yeah, but to be fair, he does download everything and he does uh, rate okay. and review and he does everything to promote. So I can't really hate on him too much. But it's his first shout out, so I had to do a little bit of a dig. Anyway, we're here to talk some New York Giants football. We are getting damn close to training camp, my friend. It is on the brink. I mean, we got to get through a couple more positions in our position series, so we're going to do that. We're going to have quarterbacks coming up shortly, not today. We're going to bring in Mark Schofield, amazing film analyst when it comes to quarterbacks. We've had him on the past two off-seasons. It's been our most downloaded podcast besides the John Ledyard podcast both times. We are going to do wide receivers, potentially with a special guest, I hope. We're going to have a couple guests on also. And then we're going to start to do some other things as we transition into training camp and we start to look at the roster as a whole, some bold predictions, some key storylines facing the team, things of that nature. But today, we're going to break down the cornerback position for the New York Football Giants. So, Nick, as I like to open up all of these positional series, on a scale of 1 to 10 against the rest of the NFL, how would you rank the corner group? Honestly, this might be a 9. This is an 8 or a 9, so I'm going to do a Dan percentage and go with 8.5. Because I think James Bradbury is arguably, I wouldn't say he's a solidified top 5, but I do believe he's arguably a top 5 cornerback. I think if you can get that 2018 Adoree Jackson back, then you have a really, really high upside number 2 who could be a number 1 cornerback. Your slot can consist of a duo between Darnay Holmes Aaron Robinson and you can kind of pick out the best and then you know it kind of tails off a little bit there but there are a lot of names that we don't know that much about the Quincy Wilsons of the world I'm not expecting much from Sam Beal obviously you still have the Isaac Yadams and players like that that's where it kind of concerns me a little bit but looking at it from last year's standpoint it's such an upgrade so you know what after considering it talking myself down I think I'm going to go with a strong eight strong eight okay I'm going 8.181. We'll give this 8.1. Yeah, 8.1. So it's close. I mean, we have pretty similar grades for this corner group. I think for me, it's similar to you. The depth is where I'm most concerned about this corner group. They really, truly can't afford a single injury in my mind to Bradbury or Dory Jackson. And Dory Jackson is someone who's been injured throughout his career, pretty much. And we'll get to that Dory Jackson signing. In a, in a bit because I think he's by far and away the biggest boomer bust player on this entire roster because and we'll get to it I don't want to spill the beans just yet but he is to me one of the most important pieces on this roster because if he's there you can do some different things with your defense if he's not there that means you have to see the likes of Isaac Yadim again that means you potentially have to like tap into the Sam Beals of the could world. be Julian Love who did show potentially injury. Love who I do yeah I did kind of like Love down the stretch in that in that boundary corner role but I don't trust him in man, and I don't think they can do the same things they want to do with a Dory if he's on the field. So we'll get to that. But overall, I agree with you. It's a really strong group. And this is a group that could have also had, in addition to this now, they probably wouldn't have gone out and signed a Dory Jackson if this had happened. But DeAndre Baker, they spent the first round pick just two drafts ago on a corner. Yeah, man. 
And so they've really continued to invest in this position. They believe in this. And I really am wholeheartedly in agreement with Dave Gettleman. And it's not just Gettleman. It's every single person in this management team that prioritized pass coverage over pass rush. They did draft Aziz Ojolari this year. They drafted Elgin Smith, but whatever, that's a fourth-round pick. I don't consider that high capital. They drafted Lorenzo Carter, but whatever, that's a third-round pick. I don't consider that high capital. None of the interior guys they've drafted to me are, in, are big pass rusher types except for Leonard Williams they traded for. And even he, it's not really that same level. So they really have prioritized pass coverage over pass rush. And it came to fruition last year. The Giants didn't have many pass rushers at any point. And they were still a easily a top third defense. They're probably on the fringe of that. And we're hoping this year they get solidify themselves in that. But to be a top third defense and to put together a game like they had against Seattle, that one-off game, without any edge rushers at all really on the roster last year i mean they didn't have any talent at the position it shows that the it's coming to fruition like their plan their vision their idea that listen coverage is more important than today's nfl quarterbacks in general and most offenses are designed to get rid of the football in under two and a half seconds you don't have time as a one-on-one edge to really get around these days i mean you could i mean some people Jaron jeremiah during i'm sorry daniel jeremiah during draft season said I've talked to a lot of NFL decision makers and they all are telling me now they're way more focused on interior pressure than they are edge pressure because it just takes too long for these edge rushers and no, so few offenses now are what they used to be like drop back seven steps, drop over and over and over again. And so I really do believe in what they built here and I think this is the year we really see it come to fruition uh, to an even bigger extent and I'm really excited about this roster. Yeah, it's a uh, quick game is what is kind of relegating these pass rushers who are getting paid so much money because yeah. they're so talented and they affect the game when you know you have third and long a, a lead and the team has to throw on third and long and things like that but you give a huge contract to an edge rusher and then you just keep you know one step drop make a quick yeah. read put a defender in conflict and then throw the football that edge rusher is kind of not living up to his contract and it's not his fault it's just how the offense is playing it now if you have a shutdown man corner who can tackle if you have a Jalen Ramsey, if you have a James Bradbury, if you have a Jair Alexander, then you know what? Throw the ball to him. I'm just going to step right up and I'm yeah. going to nail that guy. I'm going to tackle him and you might get a two-yard gain. Good good luck. And then we'll get you to third and six and then we'll see what happens from there. So it's mm-hmm. something that a lot of smart teams around the NFL are doing. The Patriots have been doing it for a while. The Ravens have been doing a really good job doing that. Wink yep. Martindale is one of the best at scheming pressure, whether that be with four men or even three men sometimes. And Miami was, as well. Miami. All, everyone who basically branches out from that Bill Belichick uh, tree. And we see Joe Judge and Patrick Graham doing it here with the Giants. And they have a good group of core cornerbacks. And I remember when they selected Darnay, or I mean, uh, Aaron Robinson, we were like, oh, wow, okay, well, What's it? But now when you think about it a little bit more, it does make sense. It gives you a little bit more depth. It gives you a little bit more flexibility. And we'll probably get into more about Aaron Robinson and Darnay Holmes here in a bit. And it's funny because that reaction that fans had when they drafted Aaron Robinson was the same reaction they had when they drafted Darnay Holmes and the same reaction for Julian Love. And at all times, and you remember this, Darnay Holmes, I was one of the biggest fans of that pick. And a lot of the reasons they didn't like the Holmes pick, a lot of reasons they didn't like the Robinson pick is we have all these corners. We've drafted all these corners. We keep using first, second, third round picks. We're signing guys in free agency. Two back-to-back, Bradbury and, and Adore to massive contracts. And we're still drafting corners. But the Giants believe you can never have too many corners. The old, pass, the old adage was you can never have too many pass rushers. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. What you just said is so true. Look at the game plan the Giants used against Chase Young last year. Everyone, you've mentioned this before, Nick. Everyone's talking up, oh my God, Andrew Thomas had such a good game against Chase Young. You break it down and you watch the film like we do on our All-22 podcast. Shout out to those. Little shameless plug for new listeners to this podcast during the season. Every week, we break down the All-22 coaches film, and then we give breakdowns, full podcast for the offense and for the defense of what we saw on film. But if you watch the film in that game... He didn't do anything, Chase Young, because the Giants didn't let him. And that's a props to Garrett to some extent. But obviously, when you do have that game plan of one two or two-step drop, get the ball out quick, it really limits your ceiling as an offense. And I think we saw that at many times last year, especially if your quarterback isn't going to make that right read. If he has just one or two mistakes, now you got a situation where you're not moving the ball well and the defense is starting to clamp down on you. So we hope to not see that as much this season. That depends on the offensive line too, of course, and Saquon Barkley. A lot of factors in that. But Again, there's so many game plans week after week. You look across the NFL, 
all 16 games. A lot of the vast majority of these offenses now are just getting rid of the ball quickly. And that totally negates as much. Like, yeah, Chase Young is still an incredible, valuable player. We would love to have him for sure, especially because you don't find edge rushers very often. But there are times where he's really only useful on third and longs. He becomes a situational asset for you because on first down and second down, you're running quick game. And then sometimes on third down, if you get into third and manageable, which the Giants ultimately tried to do a lot of last year, didn't do a great job of a lot of times, but. I, in my mind, man, it's starting to, like, you look at what you said, like, Bradbury, they tried throwing on him a lot, and he had a ton of PBUs, and there were times where he was putting conflict one-on-one, and that's just the type of thing that you get when you have those corners. The, like you said, the Ravens are the best example of this, and coming up now, you know, the Patriots, the Dolphins, teams like that as well. And it's this is also just a philosophy. This isn't, right. uh, like, we're not saying, oh, you shouldn't go out there and spend high draft capital on someone like Chase Young or Kevon Thibodeau for more. Obviously, mm. you do. Those guys can change games. Those guys can help you win a Super Bowl. But if you do not have the opportunity to select a player like that, then you can build your roster this way. Exactly. I want to be clear about that because <laughs> Chase Young, he's one of my, honestly, he's one of my favorite players in the NFL to watch. Oh, I get yeah. to watch the all 22 of him twice, and I'm kind of grateful for that. I also am scared of that, and I hate to see it because it's against my team but he um i I do love edge rushers and i do believe that they are still very valuable but this is this is a plan b to how you build a roster and it's how a lot of smart teams are doing it right now. yeah exactly a lot of these smart teams also don't have the opportunity to draft these stud edge rushers who are being selected in the top five because they're playoff teams and because not every draft class even has a stud edge rusher yeah you know what i mean last draft didn't have one Two drafts go, didn't have one, the one without Chase Young. I mean, it's not that often. And some of these guys don't even pan out as well. And one thing you can always bank on, which is why you want to draft a lot of corners in my mind, aside from the philosophy that we just broke down, which we both, I mean, I fully subscribe to pass coverage over pass rush in today's NFL. But, and again, there's so many, like, you just look at what the Ravens, Patriots, and Dolphins have done. And it's just, it stands right out to you. But aside from all that, drafting a lot of corners is important because corners get injured a lot. It's one of the highest frequently injured positions on the defense. And you need depth. And when you start to see those teams that don't build their corner depth out, and then you get to week 11, week 10, and you start to get those street free agents playing key roles in the slot or something of that nature, even the Giants who thought they hit something with like UDFA, Grant Haley, a couple years ago. Well, Grant Haley was exposed week after week after week his last season with the Giants. I mean, there. Who was that white the white kid on the Redskins or on the Washington football team who destroyed him? Oh, uh, the, the kid, the slot receiver who I think was the Mister Irrelevant. Not even in the league anymore. Yeah. Wow, that's really pissing me off. What was his name? I, he was from a Texas school. Whatever it was, I mean, yeah. he was destroying Grant Haley. So it's like, and slot verts are the name of the game these days. Slot verticals are the easiest ways to get explosive plays. So you just can't afford to have no depth at this position in my mind. And I'm so excited the Giants have made this concerted effort to build out their depth. Now, we just went over and said we don't think their depth is that amazing on the outside. And it's true, but we hope Julian Love can make an impact. I'm going to talk about another player in a little bit who's a bit of a, a, a total flyer, but at least in my mind has somewhat upside. Yeah, I'd improved like he can get out there. He's limited in what you can do with him. But at slot corner, man, they're loaded because whether it be Darnay Holmes or Aaron Robinson, I'm comfortable there. And then worst case comes to worst, you put Xavier McKinney there, who played it at Bama at times. Or you put Peppers there, who can probably play it as well in certain matchups. You don't want him there often, but in certain matchups. So it feels good to go into this season right now with these corners. These corners and the safeties, I mean, the defense really just in general, we've gone over how linebacker, it, the next to Blake Martinez, it's it's not solidified quite yet, mm. where we feel more comfortable about the corners, I would say. We feel more comfortable about the edge group. Uh, maybe a little less comfortable about the defensive line, but still very, very comfortable just because they lost Dalvin Tomlinson. So I wouldn't, I, that's negligible in my opinion. True. So, I mean, just going into 2021, I, I have a better opinion than I did of the 2020 defense, and the 2020 defense far uh, exceeded my expectations. Yeah, we really didn't expect the defense last season to be the better unit of the two. It was a big surprise. Yeah, remember going in, dude, DeAndre Baker, a guy the Giants spent a first-round pick on the year before, got all those legal issues, and then just, oh, yeah, by the way, you're not going to have that guy. It's exactly. just like, what the heck? Thank God we signed James and maybe, Bradbury. And maybe it's a message to those of you, and it's not a lot of you, but to those of you who say we're too harsh on Jason Garrett, Maybe it's a message that maybe we're not because last season, the Giants did not have that much talent on their roster on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw exactly on film, week after week after week, 
what an elite style type defensive coordinator can do for a unit, what elite coaching can do. Patrick Graham was elite, man. Brian Schottenheimer, the, the Seahawks offense coordinator, said we had to scrap everything that we wanted to do going into that week because we saw on film that he was doing so many things to this guy's coverages that we didn't want to even take chances of, of, of you know, causing plays that could be turnovers. We just went to our bread and butter classic stuff. And even despite that, you know, even despite the fact that Schottenheimer threw something at Graham that he couldn't have been expecting, he still adjusted and had arguably his best defensive game plan of the season. So it just goes to show you, no, coaching means a crap ton. In my mind, it means even more, way more on the offensive side of the ball. I've always been a believer of that. There's just so many more things you can do on the offensive side of the ball from a coaching standpoint than there you can do on a defense standpoint, in my mind. So Hopefully he improves, I guess. I don't have much faith, but hopefully I guess the talent can outweigh the coaching on that side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball, but we'll get to that another time. In the meantime, let's break down some individual players on the Giants cornerback group. Before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's roll right into the star of the show, James Bradbury. Was he as good as Giants fans? So sometimes I'm in agreement with Giants Twitter. Sometimes I think they got rose-colored glasses on. I'll give my take on this in a minute. Do you think he was as good as Giants Twitter basically thinks he is? And are most NFL analysts kind of underrating, or is he kind of flying under the radar for some reason? Among NFL analysts. I believe he is flying under the radar, and I do think he is as good as what Giants Twitter believes him to be. I think he's arguably, like I said, he could be considered a top five. I probably wouldn't have him quite there, maybe slightly off that. But I remember when the Giants signed him from Carolina. I said, this is an above-average cornerback who would be a very, very comfortable number two, is what I said. And you know what? Judging by the film that I watched, I kind of stood by that. But coming into Patrick Graham's system, with Patrick Graham, he really unlocked himself, and he really had his best year and we talked about that on the previous podcast how him Blake Martinez Leonard Williams and all these veteran Jabril Peppers had their best year with Patrick Graham that is not a coincidence whatsoever but James Bradbury allows you to do a lot all right he's an excellent zone cornerback great read and reaction ability his ability to stay in coverage trust his eyes and his instincts read the route concepts in front of him and then react to what the quarterback is doing while having the spatial awareness to know what's going on around him it's exceptional it's amazing to watch he does have the ability to play Meg coverage as man everywhere he goes on the backside or mod coverage man on deep on the backside as well so those are man coverages on uh on the backside of the formation say three by one set if you want to eliminate a wide receiver like a DK Metcalf or something like that Mm -hmm. he has that ability and he has the ability to just play man coverage now the Giants didn't really play that much man coverage last year looking at the stats on pro football focus James Bradbury played about 23.7% of the snaps in man coverage. And I want to say they were one of the, maybe the second or third least man covering team last year. They were very, very heavy zone type of team. A lot of quarters, a lot of two high, and then a lot of cover three as well. So that's what the Giants rolled with. I think they can diversify a lot more now that they have a Dory Jackson. You may be seeing a little bit more man coverage. I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning James Bradbury's ability to play man coverage at a full effect, but he has 
predominantly played in zone systems at Carolina yep. and then last year here. But I think his skill set, his athletic ability, his feel for the position, I think he's well equipped to play man coverage if he's asked to do it at a higher percentage. Yeah, you nailed it here. I'm with you. I'm with Giants Twitter. I think they're right. I think the league is still sleeping a bit on Bradbury. I'm not yet willing to put him in the top three to five range just yet. I will be after the season if he continues to play at this level, and not because I think he's small, too small of a sample size last year, but because I want to see that he wasn't just a perfect system-type fit for what Patrick Graham did last year, which is what you said, one of the most zone-heavy teams in the NFL. I want to see this year when you know the Giants are going to run more man coverage because Patrick Graham has already promised it. He's said as much as not just Graham. Gettleman said it. Um, the head of college uh, scouting, director of college scouting, who I always forget Chris his Petit. name, Pettit, yeah. said it. And so they're going to run more man, and I want to see that he can play man because, like you said, doesn't have too much of a sample size doing it at Carolina. There were times that he did it against those guys, those big three in the NFC South, Mike, Mike. Evans, um, Michael Julio Thomas. Jones, and Michael Thomas. He was so-so in those spots. I want to see him be able to kind of rise that elite level before I put him top three. But at worst, you're getting a top five, top ten type corner. And that's not a knock on him at all. Like There are some really talented cornerbacks yes. in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey is an absolute stud. Jair Alexander is really good. Xavier Howard is, is another one who doesn't get really talked about oh, that much down there. in Miami. Stephon Gilmore is coming off of uh, an injury, and we're not really sure what's going on with him in New England. Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey. I mean, total beast. There, there's, there's a long list of very talented corners. Yes. So not the crack top five is not a slight on James huh, Bradbury. Not at all. And you went over what he does so well, really well but i have a couple of things i wanted to expound on first for me if this was like madden or something i think he should have a 99 awareness that's what i think that's his that's right that's his trait like he is just like you said he knows where to be his spatial awareness is through the roof his uh, uh, awareness of route concepts and different mixes and matches that he doesn't you know foresee that you might not foresee or some corners can't figure out he figures out immediately and then the third thing for me is he's really got really 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 good ball skills that's what i really loved about bradbury there were times where they put up 50 50s i mean he had to he had to fight off a 50 50 against in my mind the single best 50 50 ball winner in the nfl currently Allen robinson and not only did he fight it off he came down with interception that's how badly he beat him on that 50-50. He was beating Metcalf on 50-50s. He was another great 50-50 ball winner. So he is so good ball skills in the air, too. I mean, he was just such a great signing for the Giants. Oh, it was such an underrated signing. And I remember a lot of, like, pundits and stuff like that mm. saying that this was a dumb signing. They, they were saying, oh, what is Dave Gettleman doing with Blake Martinez and James Bradbury? And they both proved to be nails for Dave Gettleman. And I will say uh, another thing I wanted to touch on his man coverage because I, I just got done watching and I did the good, great, ugly for uh, uh, Sports Illustrated Giants country on James Bradbury. Another thing that he does really well and it really kind of came to fruition in the second Philadelphia Eagles game is he works over those pick routes and those rub routes so freaking fantastically, yeah. which are man-beating routes. So basically you line up on the line of scrimmage, you know, two receivers stack. So a stack means the two receivers are really, really tight next to each other. One's on the line of scrimmage, say the number two, which is the innermost on the line of scrimmage, the outermost who's you know maybe one yard two yard off off the line of scrimmage james bradbury is going to be on that outermost guy and what's going to happen is the number uh two receiver the one who's innermost is going to run up and set basically a pick and then the number two is going to come underneath and what that does is that forces james bradbury to work over the top of the pick and then close with back down on that slight uh drag slash slant route he did that so well in the philadelphia i think he did it once on a fourth down and he uh, yep. forced a pbu i mean and he did that all throughout the season really really well that's exceptional man coverage type of talent right there in a short area so I mean can he do that to the intermediate and deep I think he can and I mean I hope we get to see him more that's a great point Nick I mean he he closes ground so fast on those routes and those pick routes are easy yards across the NFL all 32 teams are taking easy yards on those pick plays and yet he has no wasted movement moving downhill I think that's another kind of elite trait people don't really realize Bradbury has from an athleticism standpoint, and that's short area burst and short area quickness. He closes on space, like you said, gets those PBUs and avoids contact to avoid getting flagged. That's the savvy in his game. He truly is one of the best players on this roster. You saw how much he was missed when the Giants faced the Browns, and in my mind, that was the single worst pass coverage game of their season, I would say. Now, part of that, in my mind, was Kevin... Uh, Kevin Stefanski just had putting together a dominant game plan from a passing standpoint, and Baker Mayfield just ripping balls on time. But part of that was no Bradbury. I really do believe that. And so 
Bradbury, excellent piece. Let's move on to the number two. I think we're both in agreement that heading into training camp, at least, the number two is a clear-cut pick. There's no real debate here, and it's a Dory Jackson. So I'm going to ask you about a Dory in a second, but I want to say this. Odori Jackson, to me, mirrors the Bradbury signing from last offseason. It cannot be compared to the Blake Martinez signing because the Blake Martinez signing was three years, $30 million. And after Fred Warner got double that, or maybe more, it's proven to be one of the biggest steal contracts in the NFL. Bradbury contract was not that. That was not the case for the Bradbury contract. He was $19 million a year, I believe. That was paying up big. That's paying, you know, that's buying it. And the Giants with Odori Jackson, man, he's been injured a lot. He hasn't really shown true elite play, but he's shown true elite traits, and they paid out the butt for him, man. They, this is not a bargain deal by any means. Most people going into this year, just like they did with the James Bradbury contract, most analysts that aren't covering the Giants think that this three-year $40 million contract was an overpay for the player. Now, of course, that's not uh, Bradbury money. It's, it's, it's lower than that considerably, but Bradbury was more accomplished, they believed at this time. So at this moment, most people believe this was a bit of an overpay based on his injury history, based on kind of the fact that the Titans have bad pass coverage and they still decided to get rid of him, though I think that was more because they had just signed Tannehill and Henry and they were limited on cap space and they wanted to kind of keep Julio Jones potentially in that mix or a big receiver potentially if one were to come available, which they did in Julio Jones. And so people were obviously a bit stunned, I would say, by this contract, $26.5 million guaranteed. But to me, man, he is the make-or-break player on this roster. The defense is going to rely on him. And I actually, I want to get your take now, but I have really high expectations for him. So let's first hear what you have to say, and then I'll explain why. So I think it's a risk because he had that injury-riddled uh, season, and they Titans spent a first-round pick on this guy. They didn't even allow him to live out his contract. They released him. There could have been bad blood there. Titans seem like a, I would say, a stable organization. They've been to the playoffs and went to the AFC Championship game. So there are red flags there, but I love Logan Ryan. You love Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan knows this kid. He vouched for this kid. Mm-hmm. He brought him in. It seems like Adoree Jackson is buying in, and there's not going to be any issues with with that. So that's just something I wanted to acknowledge. It's not necessarily something that I'm worried about. Now, can he stay healthy? That's something that I can't necessarily weigh in on. That's what we're going to hope. And I think you said it best. He hasn't shown elite play, but he's shown elite traits. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just want to bet on the traits. This yeah. is a high upside type of signing that I actually do like because I think that the Giants do want to go all in here. They have to invest and they have to go all in. It's an aggressive move. And I appreciate the fact that Kevin Abrams, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and everybody went in with the Dory Jackson here. And you also got to look at it this way. Yes, could it be viewed as an overpay? I can see that, but this is market value for what the corners were going. Okay, Shaq Griffin went for slightly more, and William Jackson went for slightly more than that. And we don't really consider those guys, you know, top 20 or top 10. I'd rather have a Dory than both of those I would rather have, I think a Dory has a much higher ceiling than both of those players. Way higher ceiling. And he's only 25 years old. So this is, that's, I think the way I look at it is is through that lens. that's fair. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely, hoping that it all works out you can see avenues to where it won't but i do love the aggressiveness yeah i really believe that this is the make or break signing and i'm extremely optimistic about this signing for a few reasons first of all i think like you said he both mentioned he has elite traits and that to me screams patrick graham has an idea for him patrick graham has a role for him in mind and what happened last offseason? Patrick Graham had a role for Blake Martinez in mind, a guy who was miscast in that Green Bay defense, who wasn't playing his best in that Green Bay defense. That's why everybody thought it was a bad signing. He has the role in mind. He envisions it. He puts it in play. And Blake Martinez has a breakout season. Same thing for Bradbury. He's viewed as kind of that number two, pretty good cornerback. Graham has a role in mind. Graham has a vision for him. He puts it into play. And Bradbury has a breakout season. And so I feel like I have the confidence in the coach bringing out the best in him and having a role in mind that he can excel at. Also, there's advanced stats that show Adoree Jackson's really good at covering the vertical routes, really good at, at, at taking those kind of deep plays out of the mix and taking those deep play receivers out of the mix. That was one of the biggest things that haunted the Giants' pass defense last year. It killed him in the Eagles game that they lost. It killed him in the Dallas game that they lost. Now they have someone who can carry those vertical routes, hopefully and potentially. So those two things for sure. And then the other thing is with Jackson, it's more why my excitement about this centers a lot around how much I believed going into this offseason, Nick, that 
adding a really impactful player at cornerback two was one of the most important positions that you can have this offseason. Because, it, again, it does go back on, my belief, pass coverage over pass rush. But it also really hinges on what Patrick Gam's going to be able to do, what he wasn't able to do with the item out there, what he wasn't able to do with, uh, what was his name, Ryan, Ryan Lewis, Ryan Lewis yeah. who I basically forgot his name. I had the first name only at this point because I just don't want to remember his snaps. <laughs> the things that he wasn't able to do schematically with all these guys, he will be able to do with Adoree Jackson, as long as Adoree Jackson stays healthy. So I am so pumped. I will, I like this over, over signing an edge rusher. By far, I thought cornerback two was way more important. I thought cornerback two was more important, honestly, than signing any position except for right tackle. And I know we don't have to go into that. I think, I'm again, I'm excited about Parrot. I hope it works out. But an impact right tackle, like the kid from Carolina who got franchise tagged, Tyler, t- uh, Taylor Moten, that would have been knockout for me. That changes everything for me. But Again, besides that, cornerback two was it, was it, and so I'm so excited about this. So some stats on Adoree Jackson, yeah, too. So he's allowed 15 touchdowns since coming into the league in 2017, where he was the 18th overall selection by the Tennessee Titans, and he has 34 PBUs. He only has the two interceptions, and that was they were both in 2018. So he's not getting the interceptions, but he does get to the catch point. He brings physicality, and, you know, he's smaller. He's 5'11", 185 pounds. He doesn't look like, you know, a big jack guy out there. But this dude tackles, man. This dude does come in. He flies in. He's aggressive in run support. There were plenty of plays on his tape that I saw where he yeah. came up to the line of scrimmage, you know, defeated or got around a tight end's block and then hit the running back low, dragged him down. So it's not like we're bringing in somebody who can't tackle. And like I said, I don't think Joe Judge or Patrick Graham is going to be interested in any defensive back that doesn't want to tackle the cj hendersons of the world good you can cover that's great if you're not willing to tackle take a hike yeah you nailed it and in addition to all of that what we just laid out the entire picture he also has some special teams upside man he was an excellent return man in college very good has been okay in the pros in that regard hasn't been used as much as maybe we thought but he's got upside there. If they need a spark, if they need someone to give them a punt return, late in a tough, close Joe Judge-esque game where he's punting on the 47 on 42 oh, because you, it's 13-10. lay off this guy? <laughs> because it's 13-10. No, but you might need it, man. They might might be a 13-10 type game, 17-13 type game. Dory Jackson breaks off a 40-50 to 50 yard punt return. Giants get in scoring position. Daniel Jones converts in the red zone. They win a game like that. I mean, having those special teams type guys when you have this style of team, physical, you know, ball control, keep the games pretty low scoring like what we saw last year. It helps have special teams juice. It really helps. That's why I was a big proponent of putting Peppers back there at times last year because I thought he offered juice for them in the return game. And I think uh, Dory Jackson can offer that as well. He was really good at USC. Like track athlete, just an absolute stud as a returner. I remember that draft pretty well. I mean, I guess we remember all the drafts pretty well. (laughs) But I remember like being like, this guy, this guy could really return. But... Yeah, so let's move on, though, dude, to uh, the slot position. And this is, this is going to be one of my favorite camp battles to watch by yes. far. Darnay Holmes versus Aaron Robinson. We're going to go with the seniority here and start with Darnay Holmes. I, Dan, I, I like Darnay Holmes a lot. I think he had some fantastic reps on film. The one against C.D. Lamb on the seven route where he carried it and then got to the catch point and knocked the ball back away. Back up, back up, back up, because we are always asked to do this. So okay. back up and explain what a seven route is. It's also referred to as a flag route. So the Air Coriel systems, they use numbers. So you'll hear like, you know, a nine route, which is a streak. You, you know, you, mm-hmm. you hear that a seven is just a flag route. So basically you're going, the receiver is going to run, you know, five to seven yards. It depends on what the offense wants them to do directly upfield. And then they're going to break 45 to degree angle towards the flag the pylon so that's what that is so he did uh cd lamb ran that against against darnay holmes and he carried it so well through the traffic and then like close to the near hip of cd lamb and then just knocked the ball away at the last second beautiful yeah so there there were a lot of positive reps and i do believe he's somebody who has that within his skill set he can play man coverage he plays bigger than he is because he's like 5'9 and change he listed a 5'10 but he's kind of smaller but he has a solid build to him and he's also really aggressive in run support as well which I love about him but there were times where he got grabby there were times mm-hmm. where he was beat off the line of scrimmage it wasn't a perfect rookie season especially going back watching the film I saw more mistakes than I think I remembered but there's definitely still a lot of things to love about Darnay Holmes yeah I think you nailed it for the most part here I feel like during the season, when we did our All-22 reviews, I was higher probably on Holmes than maybe thinking back on it because now that you think back on it, we break it down a little more. There were more situations than we probably hoped for where he did get a little grabby. 
And I think ultimately part of his issue is always going to be his size. It's just physical nature of the NFL. What do we have? We always go back to this. Who was the dude we had on Irv Smith's uncle? Um, Forgetting his name. I apologize to Irv Smith's uncle. But he came on to, to preview the Cardinals last year, the Cardinals game, I believe. Or, yeah, I think it was the Cardinals game. And he basically said like it's physics a lot of the time like especially when it comes to these tight ends he was breaking down evan ingram and why he just can't be a good blocker at the nfl level and it's just pure physical nature of the game and i feel like for holmes his size is always going to be somewhat of a limitation it's not to say aaron robinson is too much bigger than holmes from a height standpoint but i feel like he's a bit longer and a bit bigger overall but having said that it was holmes first year playing the slot at ucla he played boundary and he was damn good at boundary they decided he couldn't do it at the nfl level for, for obvious reasons, short arms, bad arm length, height as an issue. But for first year playing the slot, he was pretty good. And like you said, he was physical. He had no issue putting sticking his nose in, similar to what everybody used to laud Grant Haley for during his time with the Giants, despite the fact that Grant Haley couldn't really carry vertically. But all of the reasons that like Holmes could have been... Holmes could have failed in my mind in a lot of ways. Transitioning to the slot, first time in his career... And obviously with a defense that doesn't have great edge rushing presence. But he didn't. He played really well and he held up for the most part. Got a little grabby and I think that's what leaves the door open for the next guy. And that's Aaron Robinson, the rookie third round pick. So let's transition there. Talk about the camp battle a little bit. Talk about Robinson. Talk about your expectation for that. And then make a prediction because I want to do a prediction as well. Who's going to be the day one slot corner? Okay, I didn't know if that was going to fall into my bold take, but I want to backtrack a little bit to Darnay Holmes and talk about another issue that I had with Mm -hmm. him and I highlighted in the article was that he sometimes, when the play is broken down and the quarterback has to extemporize a bit, he loses... He gets tunnel vision on the quarterback, and he kind of loses his assignment even in man coverage sometimes, which is something that I felt like was a little bit problematic. And I'm wondering if it's because he's looking to see if like these mobile quarterbacks, because it happened against Russell Wilson a couple times, are going to run. Mm. Because he did have a missed tackle rate of 20 and a half percent he had eight missed tackles now i love like i said he's a according to pro football according focus. to pro football focus love this kid and run support but he open field tackling at times i think he flew in maybe a little bit too aggressively yes. and missed that's something else that i think the giants definitely want him to clean up heading into the off season for sure but overall i mean i, I don't really have many issues with darnay holmes i just think he needs to be a little bit better at sticking in coverage and another thing when the Giants were running those Tampa 2 robber mm-hmm. type of defenses, and for anybody who's new listening, that's when they line up with a cover three look or a middle of the field closed look pre-snap. That means the safety's in the middle of the field. Then at the snap, that safety drops to basically what a, where a Tampa 2 linebacker would be, and a Tampa 2 linebacker typically drops to a significant depth in the middle of the field but from for a linebacker, not for a safety, obviously. So that safety drops down to there, and then two other players who didn't look like they were going to take deep pass drop into the deep pass. In those specific looks, I felt like every offense targeted Darnay Holmes, but I don't believe that's a referendum on Darnay Holmes. That's just kind of the coverage and the nature of the coverage because Darnay Holmes was always on the side of... Who's typically Isaac Yidem, and it's not really Isaac Yidem's fault. This is kind of the problem with that specific coverage was that Isaac Yidem would be one of those players who would be aligned somewhat close to the line of scrimmage then have to bail to a deep half. So he's scrambling to get to his assignment. And then it was on Darnay Holmes to cover That's from, flat, from yeah. the overhang all the way to the flat. And from there, he has to get to the right depth to eliminate any intermediate routes, those seven routes, those yeah. flag routes. But then he also has to have his eyes on the quarterback and also see any routes that are kind of coming from the opposite side of the formation in front of him. That's Dar- a tough ask. That's called putting a, de- well, I say this a lot on the podcast, put defenders in conflict. That's putting a defender in conflict. And he was putting a conflict a lot. That's not on him because he has no. to, now he has to usually sink to that depth and then force the check down. Sometimes he didn't and he got a little bit too close to the check down. So he has to be a little bit more aware there. But if you look at his stats on pro football focus, I think he, according to pro football focus, I think he, only in zone coverage all the times he was targeted he only had one incompletion but i don't think that's just because he's bad at zone coverage i think a lot of it is because of circumstance so yes. i want to highlight that as well for people who just kind of look at the the stats with no context yeah it's a great way to break it down and now we have context as to why his force or his missed tackle rate was so high a lot of times he was put in conflict which is great on obviously the quarterback's part the opposing quarterback's part it's a lot of things moving in motion one thing that we didn't see a lot of last year that we want to see more of is Jason Garrett putting defenders in conflict on the flip side. 
And so that's just another factor in like what what you can gain from good coaching, good design. Yeah, and a lot of that's based on the coverage too, and that's on the quarterback. That like too, yeah. A lot of that happened against Washington right. football team in the second game with Alex Smith, who's a proven veteran, and he's like, okay, I've been seeing this Tampa 2, and granted, it's funny because kind of ironic because at the end of the game, he threw a pick right to Logan right, Ryan in that, in that, in that coverage. coverage. Yeah. But, you know, once he sees, you know, Isaac Yadam bail and he knows, okay, the middle of the field close safety dropped down, the uh, the boundary cornerback or the field cornerback is dropped into a deep half, I'm going to have a high-low right here on right. Darnay Holmes and pick on this rookie. But, again, it's a difficult task for him. Yeah, and maybe they Giants envision more scenarios where that happens. You can't call a perfect defense every play. There's going to be times where the offense figures out at least one way to put one defender in conflict. And maybe, honestly, they view Robinson as potentially a better fit in those spots because he is a shorter tackler and he's a more physical player and he's a bit bigger in size as well. So let's get to Aaron Robinson and, again, break him down a little bit and then make your prediction on who we see in week one in the slot. Week one, I think it's going to be Darnay Holmes, just to give the prediction right off the bat and spill the beans, which you know what you said earlier in the podcast, and I wanted to cut you off. Where the heck does spill? Like, you could spill anything. Why do spill the beans become the the, That is a good question. Why is it spill the beans? I feel like bait may be back, and this is my guess. And if I'm right on this, this was an incredible thought by me, (laughs) and I want some props from everyone who listens to this podcast. My thought was this. During the time of, like, the Great Depression— there was no everybody's so poor they don't have any food so they're eating like canned beans a lot so like don't spill the beans like we have nothing all we have are these canned beans don't spill the beans like we seriously don't spill those those effing beans because that's all we have to eat we got nothing else don't spill the beans that's my but i'm wondering take. how it gets uh, brought into <laughs> this context you know yeah. don't don't spill like, the beans. don't, 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 let don't me... reveal something right yeah. Agre- agreed uh don't reveal something don't, don't reveal that i have the beans because it is the great depression and there's oh, a lot yeah, of hunger and we is. need to eat Ooh. okay we're putting things together i feel less strong about my great depression take though now that i've I'm off like the actual physical action of spilling the beans and not revealing. I, I think it now is wrong. Someone will let us know. Somebody let us know, and if I'm right, holy crap, was that yes. a great thought. You, you get an applause if you were right. I want more than an applause. I think Darnay Holmes is going to get the first start. I do, but I think Aaron Robinson is, and this was going to be my bold take, but I don't even know how bold it is because I think it's really realistic. So Aaron Robinson may be seeing a lot of snaps, and it could become a 50-50 split, and if you start seeing the similar mistakes that we saw from Darnay Holmes uh, with like losing people in coverage and mm. stuff like that, you may be seeing a little bit more Aaron Robinson. But I really do like Aaron Robinson. I think he had a really solid senior season at UCF where he cleaned up his tackling because in 2019 he had a 21.9 missed tackle percentage according to pro football focus they calculated 14 missed tackles which is a lot and then you watch his 2020 tape you never saw that he had two missed tackles and they trusted him in the box in run support mm. which really speaks a lot about just his skill set his ability to keen diagnose uh, rushing plays and stuff like that coming downhill being able to stack and shed and that's kind of difficult for you know a cornerback to do you know if a lineman or a tight end even climbs up to you you'd get your hands inside keep him off your chest be able to locate what's going on behind the guy blocking you and then get rid of him but he was able to do that uh, at a solid rate i would say really really good in run support and also just incredibly aggressive and has all the man coverage skills that you need in terms of just lower body fluidity has excellent hips and he was really good at the line of scrimmage i would say he was good at the line of scrimmage i wouldn't say really good sometimes he had false steps and things like that but he would always be able to kind of recover because he had the great athletic traits i wouldn't say elite but he had the really really good athletic traits i think the giants got a really good player here in the third round and i just love the the toughness that he brings to the cornerback position you want a corner who has a chip on his shoulder you want a corner who's going to play physically through the catch point you want a corner who is going to step up and run support and he does all of those things and you can line him out on the boundary he has experience doing that in college as does darnay holmes but he is a little bit longer than darnay holmes not that much bigger but a little bit longer pff has one says six one He's not six foot one. I think yeah. he's like maybe five ten. No, right? he's like he could be like five. Maybe five eleven, but like it, he's not as. I remember at the Senior Bowl, it was a disappointment mm. for Aaron Robinson was labeled a loser at the Senior Bowl because of the his way. measurables yeah. because their website had him much bigger than he actually was. But he's still a baller, man, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Patrick Graham is going to use him because I think you can use this guy in so many different ways. Yeah, and I don't want to jump the gun either, but which is another. Uh, that one I go because like it's the racers the runners yeah, don't jump yeah. the gun that one's easy but I don't want to jump the gun quote unquote and say that I think it's going to be Holmes as well but for me it's like it's just based on this 
it is tough for a rookie to come in and immediately play. Holmes kind of did it. He kind of showed I can do it, especially transitioning to a new position. But now, you know, looking back at last year, they didn't really have any other options in my mind to play the slot. It was really ugly in the slot. Especially with the Xavier McKinney injury, because you could yes. argue that Julian Love may be able to. Mm. He did it in 2019, and it yeah. was solid. He it was he, okay. He would cover the tight end slots and then the bigger receivers that would align in the yes. slots. But, you know, that in today's NFL, there's still a lot of, like, most teams are running 11, first of all. And for mm-hmm. those who don't know, 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end, which means three receivers on the field in addition to your five offensive linemen and quarterback. And uh, uh, so, obviously, in that spot, there's still a lot of, like, speedy-type teams that are run, Like the Rams, for example, like Van Jefferson. Well, Cooper Cup's actually probably more physical type, but... There are going to be times where you need a, you know, a, an agile, like l- lengthy, speedy corner in the slot. So Holmes is not exactly that. Robinson may be that. It's tough to say. And they did lean on Holmes early last year. So I'm probably with you. Holmes starts week one. But I think there's upside with Robinson right away in the first season with the Giants. All right, let's get to some back-end roster guys, then give some bold predictions, and then read a couple reviews and sign off. So let's start with Isaac Yeidem. Isaac Yidem. So this guy is going to be, I think, a mainly make the roster for special teams. He has that value. He was the second cornerback last year for the Giants. It was not desirable, if we're going to be honest. I think it really relegated Patrick Graham's defense to be much more zone heavy than maybe he would have liked to, but, you know, he still made a lot out of it. But I think there's a place for Yidem on this roster, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's cut either. And he also took a pay cut to kind of come back to the Giants. I think he also knows he's going to be a depth piece here. I don't want to see Isaac Yadam as one of the 11 guys on the defense. If he has to step in because of injury, he's capable to do so in zone coverage. But again, we don't really want to be limited to just straight zone coverage. I think he's somebody who, he missed tackles, but again, I don't think he's scared or anything in run support. He always came up and he had some impressive plays there, but he also had a missed tackle percentage of 16.7%, which is kind of consistent with his entire career which is a little bit too high i know corners are going to be higher than the linebackers and stuff like that so you also got to kind of take that into consideration here but he's somebody who i think is going to be fighting he's definitely not secured in this roster spot but if he makes it i can understand why he would yeah you nailed it limited player not great in the red zone not great carrying vertical routes can't really play man coverage at a high level was okay in zone I think he makes a roster because he knows the system. I think his familiarity with the system and their lack of depth on the outside at the cornerback position will probably guarantee him a spot on this roster, but there's going to be guys fighting. Quincy Wilson is an example, somebody who's going to be fighting for a spot. And let's get to the next guy, Sam Beal, because this to me is the true wild card on this corner in this cornerback group. I mean, the range of outcomes for this kid going into this training camp is just through the... I, I, there's no one with the same kind of range of outcomes as Sam Beal. So originally, the Giants made, in my mind, which is, I'd say, a top five, top ten, probably closer to top ten because it didn't have as much of a... It's not a, as major of an asset, but it's one of the worst moves in Dave Gettleman's tenure because it's just it it was exactly what embodied what Gettleman did during his first two years that I hated so much for him and it's an overall philosophical standpoint in his first two years he was just banging the table doing anything he can to fill every single hole he could in any way he could as quickly as he could which is why he signed Nate Solder and then he looked at his cornerback group he said I don't have any corners the draft is over what do I do well I'll use my third round which ended up being an early third round supplemental pick on this kid Sam Beal who was injured a lot in college had a major hip like i think it was a shoulder injury that then he reoccurred in his rookie season that he lost and then he opted out last season i mean this guy has played no snaps for this team and he forced it he said ah the tape's good Uh, we need this we need a corner let's get one for now let's get one for now that's the wrong way to build a roster you cannot force fill force filling holes you just can't do that it, i agree with you but i think it goes back to the fact that this team was like we're gonna win another one with eli manning and you know which I, is also I, on him I, yeah i think it's also i think it i think that but might i don't be even what think he pitched to mara too sure, I, I, yeah. I think i think that does kind yeah of he's like i'll come in and i still believe yeah. in eli yeah we still because remember he said like oh i watched him in that eagles game yes, we know, yeah and i think you're right yeah regardless though of what your opinion on where the roster was headed from that standpoint it doesn't matter if you think you're in the championship window or if you think you're in a rebuilding window or if you think you're somewhere in between. When you start forcing needs mm. anywhere, you're doing a negative EV move for your roster building and you're hurting your roster overall. So this was one of their worst picks. Obviously, he's been a no-name. But to be fair, he is lengthy. <laughs> 
he had sh- like he has snaps. I remember watching his film a little bit of what I got of it when they drafted him because I was excited. I was like, oh my god, like you know Matt Miller or from Bleacher Report said this guy could have been a first round pick, and a lot of GMs are telling him they thought he was a first round pick if he comes back and he goes into the next class. And I'm like, all right, first round potential guy here, lengthy, good in man coverage, and that's kind of what comes to my mind. Like maybe, just maybe, for this 24 year old, this is it. Like this is the system. They move toward a more man-based scheme this year as something Patrick Graham has said he wants to do. Could this be what unlocks him? Is there any chance here for Beal in your mind? It's tough, man. He really needs to prove himself, really needs to see that he's fully bought in. I don't think it's going to be held against him that he opted out of last season. You know, it's kind of hard to say. But this is somebody, and I'm glad you brought up his college tape a little bit. This is somebody who could play man coverage and was considered to be a man coverage type of cornerback with the hips and the foot quickness. Yes. And we saw a little bit of that in 2019. I want to say he played in the Miami Dolphins game. I remember him having some good snaps there. I think he actually had a safety in that game or something big. He had a couple really, really nice plays in coverage as well. And sometimes it didn't show up in the stat sheet, but it just looked on film like he was doing really well. And I remember breaking down his tape for Giants country and being like, okay, there there are reasons to like this kid. And then you hear about the him pleading guilty to gun-related charges that nobody really knew about and then somebody ended up uncovering recently and that happened I think the summer of 2020 Mm. when he was opted out so I'm just not sure if Joe Judge is going to look at him and be like this isn't somebody I want to bring in now that we added guys like Rodarius Williams and Aaron Robinson and all of these other uh, assets to this cornerback room but I do believe there are reasons to like him but he is frail in the sense that like he just he's like he was like 175 pounds or something when the Giants drafted him with and shoulder he, issues with shoulder issues and I that, think a hip something else it was something it was another issue maybe lower body I don't quite remember but it wasn't just the shoulder but again 24 years old has traits and that's mm-hmm. what coaches are looking for i think it's an up an, a, a big uphill climb is it possible i would say it's possible but it's not likely that he'd make this roster that's fair i think that's fair but I, at the same time while also wholeheartedly agreeing with the take you just gave i'd honestly say man he might just be like the fourth or fifth most talented corner on this roster like they're gonna keep seven maybe eight maybe eight yeah. probably seven but maybe eight from just a pure talent standpoint, he's more talented in my mind than Isaac Yidem. He's more talented in my mind than Rodarius Williams. He's more talented in my mind than uh, Quincy Wilson. He's more talented than all of these guys on the roster behind the big four that we went over to start the podcast. So can he put it together? Can he stay healthy? Can he add some bulk? Can he show up motivated in shape? I think ultimately why we're both counting against this and believing that likely he's going to get cut is because he's just not a great fit for what Joe Judge wants, it seems like. I mean, it seems it's hard like, to say, yes. but yeah. gun charges, opting out, which again, shouldn't totally be held against the player, but it's hard to say it won't be because I don't think Joe Judge was thrilled with anybody who opted out last year. I'm just going to be honest with you. Separate Solder. Solder, because he has a good reason for it. Yeah. And maybe Beal had a reason for it. I don't know. It's a weird opt-out in my mind. It was a weird opt-out. Just because he wasn't even secured in the roster last year. You would think he would have, but it wouldn't have said it was secure. Yeah. But again, like I, I don't even know if that's even being held against him. Dan and I, we, we don't no. know any of that thing but like or any of those things. But we do know the Giants added a lot of corners here. There's a lot of competition here. Mm. And this is a player who's barely seen any time since the Giants selected this yeah, game. Exactly. So the uphill climb. I think Quincy Wilson, this is somebody who was Former drafted, second round pick. Former second round. I remember him coming out of Florida. It was him and Tease Tabor were the two guys that everybody talked about. And I think it was Tease Tabor that ran like a 4-7 or something. Yeah, at his, that killed him. At his pro day that absolutely killed him. Neither of these guys ended up panning out. And I remember everybody was Wilson's raving. Wilson's been terrible. Yeah, Wilson was solid early on, I think. In his days in Indianapolis, I remember he was like the second cornerback there. And their defense wasn't great back then. Like it wasn't anything like it was in 2020. And he was a solid like player that you, you could see growing a little bit but he ended up going to the Jets and something happened with the Colts where he had a falling out I'm, I don't exactly know the story mm. with that ended up going to the Jets and then now he's just bounced around but this is still a 25 year old with second round pedigree six foot two 210 pounds long arms so he has the size dimensions that you that we may think a jamming type of or press team may be interested in mm. I just don't really know about his athletic ability at this point right. so that's something that I'm a little concerned about and then Rodarius Williams, their rookie from this year, who I think could also potentially face an uphill battle just based on the depth of the position, the fact that you know they added a lot of rookies in the past two draft classes combined. What are your thoughts on his take? 
And his chances, I should say. I think he has chance, to mm-hmm. be honest. I do. Rodarius Williams, I think at worst he's going to get put on the practice squad unless another team ends up taking him. So if you want, we can kind of go through. I mean, there are other names we didn't bring up, like Joshua Kalu and Jerron Williams. I don't really have much to, to add on those guys mm-hmm. right now. And then you have those hybrid type of guys who can play safety. We'll like, get to those on the safety y- pod. Yeah. yeah, well, Madre Harper and Montre Hardage are the two that we're talking about. But Rodarius Williams, I and think— love. Yeah, and Julian Love, obviously, yeah. But he's, to me, I think Julian Love's a virtual lock to make the roster. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? No, I would not agree with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that on the, on the safety oh, pod. Yes, yeah, stay tuned, everybody. But I do believe Rodarius Williams is somebody that, that can make this roster, but it's somebody who ultimately may end up on the practice squad. I think it all is going to be contingent on what Isaac Yidem, Sam Beal, and even these guys like Joshua Kalu, Jerron Williams, Madre Harge, and Madre Harburg do in training camp as well. Yeah, that's fair. All right, get to some. let's get some bold predictions, wrap up there, and then we'll do some ratings and reviews. So I kind of already gave away a little bit mm. of bold prediction. I think Aaron Robinson is going to play more snaps than Darnay Holmes, and it's Ooh. not going to be too nice. close. So I'm going to say 50 more snaps. Okay. But injuries could throw all that off. But say if they play 17 games, Aaron Robinson is going to play 50 to 100 more snaps. Okay. I like that one. Mine is going to be Adoree Jackson is this year's James Bradbury signing for the Giants. And he brings this defense to a new level. Not Aziz Ojolari. Not Dexter Lawrence. Not Ellerson Smith. It's Adoree Jackson who ends up bringing to this defense. Now, I think that will be in conjunction with Xavier McKinney, who I think is going to have an unbelievable second season for the Giants and become a fan favorite immediately. But I think Adoree Jackson is the linchpin player for this defense because they just didn't have any of what he offers last year at that corner two position. And it could be so great for what Patrick Graham wants to do. How dare you not mention Danny Shelton's name when you asked, yeah. talked about everyone they added. Yeah, he's the best signing <laughs> all season. All right, let's wrap up with some ratings and reviews because we finally... Finally, you people gave us a nice slew of ratings and reviews. My man. Thank God, because we were dead in the water. We were stuck at 600 for a while. Now we're up in the 620s. Thanks to Lumby1203. This is my favorite because he says, keep up the good work for us. I just want to let you know, Dan, I live in Orange. Lumby, my man, dude. I grew up in West Orange. Orange is right down the hill from us. And you said, though, so I liked you to start, Lumby. And we've talked a bunch before, Lumby. I know we've had some combos. I like you, but I will say this. You said, I'm 10 minutes away from Star Tavern, and I'm not a fan. Ooh. Do never, ever talk down about Star Tavern again, my friend, because yeah, that is not acceptable in my mind. Oh, you don't like the whole thin, burnt crust thing I can't get with? You can't get with it, buddy? Well, you're wrong, because bat-style pizza is the best, my man, and you always order it well done. Only the losers who don't know about pizza, and that's not you, Lumby. I'm just talking about other people who go there, who order it, and they're like, oh, this pizza wasn't good. It was kind of undercooked. No, it's not. you got to order it well done. That's a little trick of the trade. And by the way, if you really want to step your Star Tavern game up, for those of you who are willing to go visit it on my, you know, recommendation order the shrimp skin i'm sorry the scampy wings it's not on the menu they don't currently put it on the menu they never have it's a secret off menu item for only those of us who are in the know it is buffalo it's chicken wings fried and then and then instead of a buffalo sauce it's in the scampy sauce so it's this buttery parmesan garlicky masterpiece and then when you're done with those wings because they glob that sauce all over you then take your pizza and you dip it in the scampi sauce for just a truly phenomenal flavor yeah you can just go up to the guy at the counter and say let me get the widow maker please <laughs> according to you my friend <laughs> who thinks that you can't have one slice of pizza with a little scampi sauce now, on it honestly once in your life honest, but yeah no i'm down i might i'm gonna try some okay. pizza soon yeah you're gonna try some pizza soon. yeah he had pepe's and now he's open to some pizza all two right. bites two bites two bites of pepe's he had a protein burger whatever protein bun at in and out I don't even know what the heck that is. And a burrito with a flour it's tortilla that really threw off his whole gin. One patty wrapped in lettuce. Unbelievably <laughs> bad. Taking the bun out of a burger is something I will never in my life do. But, Lumby, you did also say, my all-time favorite pizza spots are Pizza Center and Orange, which I haven't had, but now I will try, Lumby, on your recommendation. And Famous Rays in Verona. So now I get why you don't like Star Tavern, Lumby, because Famous Rays is the complete opposite style pizza of Star Tavern. That's I love Famous Rays, first of all. Let me start by saying that. I love Famous Rays, but Famous Rays is just not my favorite style pizza. So, Nick, for what I mean by that, Star Tavern is bar-style pizza. It's thin crust. It's got kind of a charred taste to it, like he said. Famous Rays is a really doughy-style slice, so it is 
super doughy. It's a thick, doughy uh, base and crust. Mm-hmm. And it's that style pizza. Or okay. like football pie, they call it. So great place, though. Famous Raisin Verona is awesome. And then you said, have you all noticed that three of our four starting linebackers could be Georgia Bulldogs? Crowder, uh, Carter, and Aziz Ojolari. Talk about a pipeline. You're damn right. It is. All right. NJ Bill says, just found your show. Great listen. I just found your show by searching NYG. So first of all, let us know for everybody else how you find the show because we want to get it out to more and more Giants fans. We're really excited, NJ Bill, that you were able to just find us randomly and organically. And so you said you listened to the Edge Rusher show and now you're binge watching. Awesome. That's exactly what I want to hear. You also said the deli, Italian deli meat discussion grabbed my attention. So we like to hear that as well, NJ Bill. We will read the rest of the four uh, podcast reviews on the next show. Thank you to all the other ones, but some of you just gave it a rating, no review, which is fine as well. We're up to 618 there, 4.9 out of 5. Only the douches, oh, I shouldn't have said that word, only losers gave us one and three star reviews. There's a couple one star reviews that have been sprinkled in there from obviously the fans who want to hear the Giants are the greatest team, even though they win six games a year, and we just can't do that. I'm sorry. We're just not going to be able to do that. Hopefully they can win like 14 games so like there's there's no possible way to be negative about a 14 win team so we're just hoping for that so then we don't get those one star reviews anymore but thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review as always you can find us on itunes rate and review us there spotify anywhere you get your podcast find us on instagram ny big blue banter ny big blue banter and then youtube big blue banter you'll see our logo you'll hit the follow you'll hit the subscribe you'll like some videos you'll watch some videos More content coming in all three regards as we roll into the season. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.